This episode was made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 162 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week we discuss John McTiernan's 1990 film, The Hunt for Red October. Okay, so we talked the book last week, uh, Tom Clancy's book. Now we're talking John McTiernan, a director we've covered before for Die Hard. You know, I think both of us are familiar with his work before this too. Like I'm sure you've seen Predator. Um, Yep, seen Predator. So that was him as well. And now Hunt for Red October. Yeah, I think I saw a couple other movies listed I, I'm, I was at least somewhat familiar with. This was a fun entry to me. Um, it it was exciting. It had sort of an action flair to it while still being very technical in many of its details. I could see the signature um, look uh, of this director that I recognized from, like, say Die Hard is a movie I've seen many, many times. So there's whenever I saw a certain, I don't know, like, signature shots or like the way that scenes are established and set up like there's i just feel like there's something there that i could recognize and go yeah oh this reminds me of die hard or this reminds me of predator and um i was seeing that here and for the most part it worked i had a pretty good time with this movie um it again feels like a movie that the more timely it is, the better it's going to strike you. Um, even I was actually saw something about how like the Cold War was basically coming to an end when this movie came out. So in that sense, it felt kind of dated even as it, as it was released. Um, but I can see how, you know, of the time you would feel um, a, a lot more like um, it, it is it is speaking to the present moment. Whereas here, I mean, it's a 30 year old movie. Uh, talking about, a, a, you know, the Soviet Union, which doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> so it's very theoretical at this point. Yeah. Uh, producers were a little worried going into this uh, because of the time that it was coming out. They're like, well, the Cold War is like ended now. Uh, our yeah. audience is still interested in this. And um, uh, I, I agree with you, though. I I think I enjoyed this more than I was expecting to. Um, oh, real quick. Had you seen it before? I have seen it before. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just didn't remember anything from yeah, it. Yeah, same um, here. I'd seen it before, but I think... I was probably like, I don't know, 10 or 11 when I saw yeah. it, like real young. Yeah, I was young as well. Going in, I knew it was McTiernan and I knew that it was going to be Die Hard, Predator, Hunt for Red October. I knew that that was sort of the vein we were going. So we, we knew, I knew it was going to be hyper-masculine. Um, like I knew it was going to be, you were talking about a certain style that you saw to his filmmaking. And I couldn't help but think while I was watching it, like I feel like for the most part, every shot is made to be it's made to at the end of it you're supposed to walk out and be like that was cool you know what yeah. i mean like every shot everything that happens is like cool in well and sometimes it is cool though you know so sometimes it works <laughs> it definitely yeah definitely but it was just funny to me that it was like this is going into a movie and being like make the coolest action spy thriller that you possibly can and that's kind of where we ended up and like you yeah. said though i i enjoyed it and i think like if you put it in the same category as like predator and die hard and you go in thinking that and you don't think it's going to be some like dramatic uh you know thriller that's gonna have a lot of nuance and subtlety to it i think you're gonna have a good time with that because i i did it for sure i i I will say i don't think it really holds a candle to die hard um that's also a movie that i have a special place for but um the characters just aren't on the same level um not to say they're bad 
Um, and in fact, I think they're an improvement over the novel, which might be a controversial opinion. I don't know. But I found, I found a lot of Tom Clancy's characters to be, um, while sufficiently fleshed out, there were so many of them, and they, they kind of circled in and out of the story so frequently that even even Jack Ryan at times didn't feel like a main character in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, is it is Ramius the main character? Is Jack Ryan? The, I don't know. Whereas in the movie, it felt a lot more like we are following Jack Ryan. We get yeah. a little bit of Ramius, but like this is Jack Ryan's story. Um, and they made some changes to make him more integral in a lot of what goes down, even more so than he already was in the book. And a lot of those changes worked to make me feel a little bit more of a connection to him. But... I, don't, I mean, we're getting into we're, we're we're getting into the meat of it a little bit, but like yeah. for me, Alec Baldwin isn't a great fit for this role. He wasn't bad. He just uh, I don't know. He left me a little bit wanting in this role, and I'm like I'm a fan of Alec Baldwin. I think he, he's good in a lot of stuff, but here it felt like they didn't quite know what kind of actor he was yet, and like what he was mm-hmm. going to be good at, and so they were trying it out. And I think there's a reason we didn't see Alec Baldwin in this sort of leading man action roles many times after this, at least. To my yeah, knowledge. agreed. I mean, yeah, they, they like you said, you hit it the nail on the head with they didn't know what kind of actor he was going to be. Yet. He, this was just one of his first like starring roles that was that was like massive for him and great actor. He's a great actor, but and he would go on to have like Glengarry Glenn Ross, like some of these movies where like that's an Alec Baldwin performance that you're like, that's the kind of stuff he's good at. Mm-hmm. Um in this case, like I, I do think you're talking about the characters maybe being better. I think it has a lot to do with cast as well. Cast yeah. and sort of like um, you know, what honing in on what yeah, incredible cast. What honing in on what made the characters in the book memorable and like solid characters, but then, you know, adding in the the added benefit of having Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, Scott Glenn, Sam Neill, James Earl Jones, like all the way down to Tim Curry and and uh, Courtney B. Vance, Stellan Skarsgard, like it's a crazy yeah. cast if you look at it all the way down. Yeah, I mean, Stella Skarsgård, <laughs> I, I, I was having like all these moments where I'm like, holy shit, this person's in this movie. Uh, you know, Tim Curry. Now, that's not to say all of them were used to their potential, because I definitely right. think uh, Tim Curry, I, I mean, he's been, I've seen him in this role in a bunch of movies. It seems like he kind of gets typecast. Um, but like also after having watched like the It miniseries <laughs> and seeing him as Pennywise, like, you know, he's capable of so much more. Um, well, and Rocky, just... like Tim Curry in Rocky Horror Picture Show is a yeah, lot different than Tim Curry in Hunt for Red October, you know, like he's yeah. just a different performance. He's not given a lot to do in this movie. He's really not. And then Stellan Skarsgård, man, like I, I don't know. I'm a huge fan of this guy. And yeah. in this movie, I felt like he did so much with such little time. Um, and it's still kind of a shame because I felt like the character didn't get the that was one where I thought the character in the book got a lot better treatment. Um, we, we understood him a little bit more. We understood his relationship with Ramius a little bit more and and how he um, felt conflicted over the whole situation. Whereas here it was like he was kind of cartoony. He was always sweaty. He had a big scar in his face and he was like kind of the mad Russian like, um, oh, yeah, stereotype. Um, yeah. but he acted the hell out of it. Like those moments he was on screen. Like I, I, I wanted to know more about this character. And I, I think that's just a testament to what kind of actor he would become over time. I think, uh, maybe he already was, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like super versed in his entire, you know, filmography, but, um, he would go on to, to do so many great things that I love. Definitely. I mean, yeah, like you said, he, he crushed it in the, the limited amount of screen time he had. He was just like, he was scary. He's good at being imposing and scary and he seemed scary for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, he kind of ends up looking like a fool at the end, but, you know, that's the way it was written, so that's the way he goes. It was a change, but um, that was the way it was written for the movie. What about Sean Connery? Um, what, what did you think of his performance in this movie? I mean, he's Sean Connery. Like, I, I just, like, he's got, like, a magnetism to him that, like, even though he's doing, like, a Scottish-Russian accent yeah. and stuff, like, you're still just, like, it's Sean Connery, and he, I think he gives a good performance. Like, I, I don't think that it's necessarily the character we got in the book, but I still like the like the character and like the performance. Yeah, the the performance is different than I expected. Um, he plays it a lot more. I think they're they're toying with the idea of like maybe he is a madman in the movie a lot more. Um, he he like frustratingly doesn't explain what he's doing to anybody, even his close friends and allies, um, right. just for like the sake of drama. It seemed like, um, which okay, maybe that's just how he is. Uh, I agree. Magnetic, of course. Sean Connery. I mean, who doesn't want to have a beard that looks like that? You know, when we reach that age and and yeah. cut cut st- well, such a striking figure. I mean, the the guy is just charisma personified, or, or he was. You know, R.I.P. Um, and but all of that being said, I still felt like this was a very sort of middle of the road performance for him. He didn't he didn't feel like he was super bought into this Russian sub commander performance. It was like I'm here. I'm Sean Connery. I'm just going to be Sean Connery. And uh, is this character supposed to be Russian? Sure. But am I going to do any effort to make him seem Russian? No. You mentioned his beard. I re- I was in my research found out and I did not realize because I'm not usually this stuff isn't on my radar, but uh, he was wearing a toupee and reportedly it costs like $20,000. It's a $20,000 toupee that he's wearing throughout this film. Wow. That, and that would be on the top of the head, right? So yeah, top of the interesting. head. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I thought you were saying that his beard was like fake or something. I was like, the beard's no, got to no. be real. No. Okay. Yeah, I can see head. that. I mean, I've seen him in in other movies around that time where I, I think he had more of a receding hairline, so I could see that. Interesting. Yeah. It looked good though. I bought it. I didn't believe. I did. I thought it was real. Yeah, that's what I mean. I didn't even realize that it was a toupee at all. But apparently, there was like a whole thing. Like he showed up to set on the first day and it had like a ponytail. And then oh. there's like this whole story that goes on where the direct, like Tiernan's pissed off because it looks dumb. I wonder if he was shooting, um, shooting what was he Highlander? Didn't he have long hair in that or something? I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah, I, I, no, I think it was. I think it was a toupee that had like a like that had a ponytail or something. I don't, I don't know exactly what it was. Oh, weird. But basically, like the director of photography made a comment about it about how it looked dumb, and then eventually Connery was like, "All right, just fucking cut it off." And then they had to reshoot a, like a pivotal scene because of that. Interesting. I mean, in in the defense of the character and the way it was written, he's Lithuanian here, so they are trying to kind of play with like he's not really Russian, and that's I think how it's kind of hand waved. Um, there's also uh, this scene where they do the transition from uh, subtitled Russian to them mm-hmm. speaking English. And um, I thought it was decent. I, it didn't bother me too much. I thought it would bother me more. Also, like I, hearing Sam Neill and, and Sean Connery do their, their sort of Russian, um, especially Sean Connery, it felt pretty rough. So I was kind of right. glad that they weren't going to try and keep that up. It seemed like they were having him say like pretty simple lines because he probably doesn't speak fluent Russian, I would assume. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as somebody like I, I'm a kind of person that like I enjoy watching subtitled films because I like to hear the native like performance. Like I, I enjoy that kind of thing. And so um, I like that they had it in the beginning. And, and I will say I'll give him credit where credit's due. The transition, I think, was clear enough to where even it's really interesting it's always interesting to me in film where you're doing something that's not like a cut and dry rule and but you're able to do it so 
like so precisely that everyone knows what you're doing and they go mm -hmm. along with it. You know what I mean? So like the transition where they're like going, like punching into the mouth and then he starts, you know, on like uh, annihilation or something like that on that word it transitions to English and, and like they, they pull out as like a transformations happen and now we can hear it as English. Um, you know, part of me feels like I would have liked to have seen them put in the effort, but I understand like Sean Connery's probably not going to learn Russian for this movie. Yeah. Uh, and it, like you said, it wasn't like a great accent. He wasn't working with a dialect coach probably. Yeah. And I know you want the star power of a Sean Connery, Sam Neill, Tim Curry, I guess, star, yeah. star power, I guess. Um, but... I think if you were to make this movie today, I would rather see effort made to get actual Russian uh, yeah. actors who can also just speak English. And you could still have them speaking English with a similar transition, but they would look and feel a lot more Russian in a way that, like, say, Chernobyl um, was able to pull off, or at least, like, European in that way. Just not a bunch of, like... Americans. <laughs> I mean, not saying yeah. Sean Connery's American, but I mean, you know, speaking of Stellan Skarsgård, yeah. you know, you brought you brought up Chernobyl. There he is. Yeah, exactly. Like he felt a lot more authentic, right? When we yeah. saw that. Like I don't think he's Russian, but um, yeah, I mean, it still works. It was a decision, and and I think like I think they made it because I was like, this is an action film. This isn't like a drama that we're trying to like really give the the like ultimate version of this of these characters. Right, it's not a specific. prestige drama. Yeah. That's a good point. Right, right. Um, and like I said, I, I'm fine with it. I, I think that it definitely is situated in like the time period that it was being made in because of mm -hmm. that. Because like you said, like I would, I enjoy, I enjoy multi-language films. Like I just think it's, it's, you know, I think it, it kind of makes the world feel, feel bigger and like more lived in and all that kind of thing as well, as well as just being like a legit performance. So you want to talk about John McTiernan? Sure. I know we touched on some of his, uh, his, uh, backstory when we did Die Hard, but that was, uh, many years ago. <laughs> it was like, I think our very right. first Christmas episode. So yeah. check that out. If you want to hear us talk uh, at length about him. Um, I, I know he, he got into landed in federal prison from doing a wiretapping and, and all kinds of yeah. wildness, but I think we yeah, talked what, about what, that a little bit in that episode. We did. Yeah. Yeah. So just to reiterate, uh, if you haven't heard that John, John McTiernan, is an American filmmaker. He is best known for his action films, especially Predator, 1987, Die Hard, 1988, and The Hunt for Red October, 1990. His later well-known films include the action comedy fantasy film, Last Action Hero, 1993, the action film sequel, Die Hard with a Vengeance, 1995, the heist film remake, The Thomas Crown Affair, 1999, and The 13th Warrior, 1999. I have seen all four of those, those movies, so I, I was right. I have seen other movies from him. <laughs> Yeah. Interestingly, I think because of this film, because of Hunt for Red October, he wasn't able to direct Die Hard 2. He directed Die Hard 3. Um, yeah. So he wasn't there for Die Hard 2. Which is my second favorite Die Hard movie. Yeah. I mean, it's been worth. for... That's a, I haven't watched the Die Hard... I haven't watched anything yeah. but the first Die Hard movie in forever. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that it um, completely holds up. I, I, it definitely has some many issues. But uh, if I had to rank them, I think that would be my second favorite. So, yeah, I mean, just to talk about the run that he had and like, like, I don't, like you've already said sort of where you feel about Red for Hunt, the hunt for Red October and Die Hard. But uh, he had a, he had three films in a row that were 1987 Predator, 1988 Die Hard and then 1990 Hunt for Red October. That's a pretty I mean, like in terms of like action films and like um, kind of defining that era of action films, I feel like he has a, a pretty massive hand in it. And then going on to do like Last Action Hero and some of those. Yeah. Are, pretty iconic like sort of like late 80s early 90s which is, that's a pretty fun movie too 
Yeah. Um, do do you do you know how successful this movie was? I was going to ask. Was it a box office success? So I think it had a budget of thirty million, um, and then in the United States it made one hundred and twenty-two million, and then cumulatively worldwide it made two hundred million. So I'd say that's pretty successful. <laughs> yeah, sounds profitable. Um, yeah, Definitely. I mean, so that is that is a run. And and Predator is is a cool movie. Um, I don't think I fully appreciated it when I originally saw it, or you know, when I was young. But like the way it is, an action movie, some seemingly like a, a almost like an army movie, like a commando or something. But mm-hmm. then you inject it with this alien and it like it's actually like a horror movie that is nested inside of an action movie in a cool way yeah i don't know there's some really fun genre things going on there that i think you know looking at now i I could really pick apart and and analyze in an interesting way i want to yeah i mean when's the last time you saw an action film that was like specifically like that sort of action film then yeah. add in aliens and stuff like that. You know, like, right. I, I'm sure it does happen. You know, superhero movies are doing that kind of thing. But I just mean, like, there's something about this era of, like, action films and the fact that, like you said, Predator is, like, a horror icon. And to have, like, an action movie mashed up with Arnold and then this Predator creature, like, it's a, it's a I mean, there's a reason why it's memorable and people people still talk about Predator and they think there's a new Predator coming out here soon. Yeah. They're just announced yeah. that. I will say I don't think any of the any of the sequels have, have ever lived up to the original. Yeah. Um, not to say the original is some like, you know, untouchable piece of art, but like it I think the original does have a lot going for it, whereas a lot of the sequels, eh, they're okay. Yeah. There I was guess. a weird Predator that came out where they like dropped them on a planet. Predators? I think I saw that one. Yeah, yeah. That one was so wild. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of okay. enjoyed it. It's been a long time <laughs> since I've seen it. Um, but I will be excited because I, uh, I think Dan Trachtenberg is directing this new one. And I loved uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane that he directed. And mm. he's like an internet guy. He's like a film. He was like on a film YouTube channel that like was like, and I think he did some commercials here and there and then went on to, to do 10 Cloverfield Lane produced by J.J. Abrams. And it's kind of yeah, like which was good. done well for himself. So I'll be really interested to see this new yeah. Predator just because of him. Yeah, I know it's completely outside of the bounds of this podcast, but I also heard recently about Noah Hawley and how he is like, I think it's still just rumors at this point, but he's like trying to get traction on this alien uh, TV series and yeah, just how that. excited I would be to see a Noah Hawley led aliens series would be uh, I'd be off the charts I'm sure there'd be I, plenty of like constraints from Ridley Scott and, and alien in general but man he what a what a great director so that would be interesting if that could ever happen definitely I would love to see that um, which has okay, nothing to do with what we're talking about <laughs> back over to hunt for red october yeah uh yeah what a run for him there like I said I think it's like kind of an iconic time for this director and like as problematic as he might be in terms of like the stuff that I, I mean i don't know he's like wiretapping people and like it seemed like he thought that he was one of his characters uh and he could yeah. do the, that kind of stuff and then and then uh, i think he got in the real trouble was lying about it right lying to the fbi which yeah. unless you're you know a friend of the president is going to be a problem right like jack ryan boom we're back to it we're back <laughs> <laughs> friend of the president jack ryan not in this uh, movie though he doesn't ever talk to the president here we just get like yeah uh, like uh political guy who has an unclear role in government um which is funny i don't know i wanted to ask you about that i mean mean, we're kind of going off on a tangent here again but in movies where it's clear that they want someone to kind of play the role of the president but not be the president i feel like there's a decision made at some point of like are we going to have someone who is going to try and look like a real president like this person is playing ronald reagan or whoever (laughs) at the Mm -hmm. time and or are we going to have a fictional president 
You know what I mean? That's like the other option. Or are right. we just going to like pretend the real president is there and just for whatever reason is not involved or is only involved through a proxy? Right. And how do you feel about those? Like, like I would I mean, prefer I prefer the fictional president just because I feel like too. there's a lot of baggage that comes with the, the real president. And then um, and then the one where they're like not at all there. I mean, it depends. I, I could be fine with the not at all there one also. But uh, yeah, I think like having the president in this movie, I, they basically did it is the thing, right? Like they had the guy who was like making the decisions yeah. um, to an extent. But uh, let's we're talking about this. So the guy they have a conversation. He's like, everybody leave. And, and uh, Jack Ryan, you stay behind. And then he's like, I'm a politician. I lie to people. I, you know, I give I give yeah. kisses to babies and I take their lollipops and shit like that. I'm just like, oh, my God. Yeah, this, this it was so funny to me. Uh, I mean, just with politics at this. I mean, I don't know. Forever, so much cynicism you know, about politics, so yeah, just leaning into that, I guess. Yeah, but it's this idea that like there there can't be a good politician, of course, and yeah, and it's just like it's really funny to me that he's like I, you know, I don't care about taking from children. It's well, and people wonder why uh, you know historically Americans have been so like disinterested in voting and like why our voting percentages are so down, it's shit like this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, let's just talk about the film as a whole now. I mean, we've already kind of talked spoilers and stuff, so no spoiler warning yeah, here, but we're, we're going into it. Uh, I don't really have a synopsis. We talked a lot about it last week. Fairly similar plot. Um, Fairly. We can, talk about, we can talk about differences as we go along. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess let's just start near the beginning. What do you think about um, the introduction of these characters? What do we think about the subs? And Oh, that's the other thing, the set. I think the set design... Uh, was was pretty impressive because they couldn't feasibly shoot on submarines um, so a lot of these are like a lot of, I think most of the interiors that you see are on sets that are like sort yeah, of on hydraulics so they can they can tilt them and that kind of thing oh that's cool yeah that, I was wondering how they're getting that effect um, yeah I thought they looked good um, you know it, it was interesting to see uh, all the the actors walking around in their full like dress uniforms on the Russian sub. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Um, or if that was the decision that was made to, to portray him that way. Um, yeah. But I mean, it, it, Sean Connery looks good in uniforms. So they're like, let's just have him wear it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his his relationship with Sam Neill and then eventually what happens to Sam Neill. Like, I think I cared more about his death because he's Sam Neill rather than yeah. caring about the character all that much. But I was like, no, Sam, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I and know. Like, and then, like, I, you know, given that backstory about how he wants I want to move to Montana and, and yeah. have a wife. And then he, like, talks about getting a recreational vehicle and yeah. all this stuff. Was <laughs> this is exactly funny. what we talked about last week, too, where they made it like America is like the perfect place. And they're just they can't wait to just go be hillbillies or whatever. Yeah, and, I want like, to get a pickup truck. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah drive across the united states and stuff like i like obviously that's great that we can do that and like no passport no papers or whatever uh within our own country but funny to see it like framed by an american filmmaker you know what i mean basically commenting on how he feels about america versus russia yeah and it's interesting that uh uh in that moment doesn't really have like a reason he i guess he's just uh doesn't want world war three to start is what is implied later like he he knows that the sub was like designed to potentially start World War Three, so he knew yeah, that happen. Um, but we really didn't get into the death of his wife and like how that affected him and um, right. a- affected his decision to want to defect. Uh, and because of that, I feel like Ramius is a lot more mysterious character in the movie than he is in the book. Yeah, I mean they they talked about it a little bit, but I was surprised that he didn't. In terms of like telling the audience, I'm surprised that he didn't say like 
the corruption within the system and like like kind of go into any of that because it was more left on yeah his wife died but i don't think we ever got the implication that he blamed the state for his wife's death i don't think that right. was ever said i don't know it may have been implied but he was like i was at sea and this and that she definitely yeah. died mm-hmm. yeah but yeah you're right i i like i said i i kind of wish there had been some of him being like you know the reason i'm defecting is you know, I feel like the system is corrupt and this these are the reasons why I feel like we're making bad decisions and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Or at Whereas least I feel like, the implication of those answers. You just have to come out and say it. That might be a little right. too much. <laughs> no, yeah. I just mean like if it was made more clear. Yeah. Um, overall, I was impressed with the the, the ability that Tiernan had to like balance because I feel like a lot of his successful films are also like very simple, which is a good thing, I, especially in an action film. Something like Die Hard is like, all right, terrorists in a building, you know, like here's a cop. That's like the story of Die Hard, and because it's so simple, I think it's why, part of why it's so effective. And then you add in him directing a movie like this, which is pretty complicated in terms of the plot and like it's winding, um, a lot of technical things going on. But I feel like he simplified it as much as he could to make it clear to the audience. And I think you have to do that with this movie, because mm-hmm. um, it is it's an action film that's that's like putting its best foot forward as an action film and saying like we're gonna go, we're gonna lean into a lot of the stuff. So audiences will, would come to be like, oh, I like a complicated movie, or at least they would say they like complicated movies in, the, in like the coming decades after this movie. Um, but I think it was a smart decision to have it be simplified because it does make for like a neater, like cleaner narrative to follow. Because if somebody loses it, if somebody loses the thread of what's going on between like going to the Pentagon, going into the submarines, going into that other submarine, there's like three different submarines they're jumping into. If you lose that, I feel like, some audience members are just going to, you know, not have enjoyed the film. And there was some really smart efforts to simplify that I identified. There was, uh, in the book, there's a sub that over overextends itself, exerts itself, and then, like, that's the one that comes up out of the water and uh, then sinks, which was a, a harrowing, you know, sequence of events in the book. Um, but they combined that with this final sub-fight um, in, in a way that um, sort of just simplifies the plot. And a lot of the aerial stuff also gets simplified around Jack Ryan and his like journey to try and get on the sub. Um, so, so there was some smart condensing, combining of scenes, combining of characters. Um, because ultimately, there was a lot that happened in the book that was extraneous to the actual main plotline of what's going on with the Hunt for Red October. Um, there was a lot of other stuff going on that that sort of rippled out from those those moments, but easy enough i think to cut away from a film because you go we don't need this to tell this story so we this can go this can go this can go and they did some of that for sure right and i don't think that's an easy thing to do necessarily you know it's not like just like oh cut this wholesale like as a writer i feel like that would be pretty complicated to make it still satisfying to people who read the book and and to make it clean and clear what's going on in the film so props to them for that um all right how about the introduction of jack ryan and his whole life and uh, yeah, he's going to buy his, his daughter a teddy bear when he comes back. Yeah, I mean, I thought they, they did a good job of selling that relationship. Um, he it, it was an interesting choice to make him as obviously wealthy as he seemed to be at the beginning. Like, I got the sense that he was quite well off. Um, and I know that fits with the character from the book, but I just felt like 
if you really wanted him to feel like an everyman to everybody who's watching, um, maybe maybe make him more middle class um, yeah. than he seemed to be here. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, you're making decisions about how how close you want to keep it to the character in the book. And in the book, he made a bunch of money in the stock market and then got bored. So, you know, maybe they're trying to, to show that off here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, Alec Baldwin, he does okay. I just think there are times where he's trying to be sort of a wisecracking action star that we would expect from a John McTiernan movie, <laughs> you know, mm. sort of a Bruce Willis type. And uh, he just doesn't fill that role as well. Um, that's just not his strong, strong suit, in my opinion. There were attempts to get Harrison Ford for this film, which oh, and he, wow. would later, he would later, you know, take on the Jack Ryan mantle. You know, they got Alec Baldwin on board. And then for the following film, they Alec Baldwin wanted to come back, but was a I guess there was like something in his contract that the Paramount didn't like or something like that. So ultimately they went with Harrison Ford because they realized for the same money they could actually get Harrison Ford at that time. And, and wow. you know, I, I, I like Alec Baldwin. We've talked about he has he has some great performances in different movies, but like I can't help but feel like, you know, you have Harrison Ford in all three uh, Jack Ryan movies like and have that consistency how like I think, you know, I think he could have done better in the role. Um, but, you know, that's just all kind of theoretical so it's not yeah, like water under the bridge at this point wander right. under the uh under the submarine Sub. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh what i mean there was some interesting uh cgi sequences here uh mm -hmm. with the with the sub you know kind of going through the trench and some fun navigating you have the uh torpedoes chasing after and stuff and a lot of the a lot of those shots didn't really hold up they they right. were showing their age um, but not not terrible. Didn't really take me out of it. I was able to recognize like this is probably good at the time. Um, but I was curious. Did you find out anything about actual subs or ships? Because it felt like a lot of the time there was real like a, they were shooting on a real aircraft carrier. There was like a real battleship at one point. Uh, I thought some of the sub shots were probably shot on a real sub, like the exterior stuff. Um, so what was that like? I mean, did, did they have like a deal with the Navy to do that? To talk first about the some of the shots that you were talking about with the sub, uh, they worked with ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, and a lot of it is is um, for the exteriors and going through the trench and a lot of that stuff. That's A lot of it is miniatures and sets that they created. I, um, I had then, miniatures written down in my notes. That was my guess is that they did miniatures. Yeah. Interesting. And I think some of it probably like computer augmented, like you were saying. Um, I don't think uh, most of it probably wasn't CGI. Um, well, the miniatures looked better, I think, than some of the some of the actual CGI. I think some of the torpedoes yeah. were CGI, but the miniatures looked better. Looked better. They tend to hold up better. It's kind of like Star Wars miniatures. Like the, yeah. those are the stuff that those are the things that look better. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. I saw some of the like rigging that they created for the camera setups and stuff to like those shots that like scrape along the sub. And then they're mm -hmm. like, you're talking about the, the larger ones that have like the underwater trench and stuff and they're going through more, more wide angle shots. Um, I, you know, degree of difficulty. I always like to talk about that kind of stuff when they do it, when they actually physically shoot it, because I find that to be really interesting stuff. Um, and then into, you were asking about exterior shots and a lot of this stuff. So Mace Newfield, who was a producer, I believe, met with, met with resistance when he first approached the Navy for help. But several admirals were fans of Clancy's novel, and they, they appreciated what Paramount's Top Gun had done for Navy jet fighters. In <laughs> Neufeld's words, the Navy eventually decided the hunt for Red October would be a good way of, quote, showing taxpayers where their money was going, end quote. Tax dollars weren't used to make the movie, though the Navy charged millions for the use of its equipment, personnel, and so forth. 
Alec Baldwin and Scott Glenn both uh, shadowed active military. They went in, they, they, um, I think I even read, read that uh, Scott Glenn based his performance on one of the officers that he was sort of um, shadowing. And at there, the officer like told his, his men to like come report to him and then give the same report to Scott Glenn so he could sort of feel the rollout and give fake wow. commands and that sort of stuff. So they did some good research in terms of that. And I also read that Sean Connery uh, went down in a sub uh, in an actual submarine. So he got to experience that. I also read, this is something that goes along with uh, what we were talking about with the Navy recruiters. Apparently, some Navy recruiters set up booths in some theater lobbies for people to sign up to join the service, or at least look into it. The Pentagon hoped this movie would do for the submarine service what Top Gun did for naval aviation. Yeah, recruitment tool. You could tell. Yeah. That's what we talked about last, like even just the Tom Clancy novel. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes sense that a lot of people would be fans of it who, who you know, are in the Navy. Um, so w- you touched on Scott Glenn a little bit, and that reminded me that I, I didn't shout him out earlier when I was talking about performances. And I want to mm-hmm. highlight how, how good his performance was. I thought he was one of the standouts, actually. Um, he was one of the times where it felt like he's a great actor, and they used him in a way where he could show off his, his ability. And, and it was a, such a cool meeting of two icons in a way, if I could say that about Scott Glenn, when, when Sean Connery and him are on, you know, on the same bridge and, you know, kind of trading uh, looks about like, you know, who, how would I, how would I do this versus what you're doing? And then, you know, ta- it's tactics, you know, and I don't know. Right. There's just a lot of stuff and they both have these voices that are so deep and resonant and commanding, um, I just thought those those were two cool roles, and and I really liked his uh, his portrayal of the the captain of the Dallas. I guess yeah, that's what it was uh, the the build up too was was really solid because you know we get these two commanding people on their own ships, and then in the yeah. climax we get them uh, you know sort of going back and forth and not agreeing with each other, and then telling Jack Ryan to do something different with the whole like yeah. drive straight at the torpedo, and I felt like that was such a fun. Like you, that was that was so needed for these two characters to have a moment like that because it just made for great tension, great like sort of character moments, and it shows like it shows R- Ramius again a frustrating moment for fucking Ramius. Like just say right. what you're doing exactly, yeah. But it shows that he does know more about like the the Russian navy and the, their fleet than more even more than the Americans and all yeah. of that. So I thought it was a cool character moment too. But like you said, great performance by uh, Scott Glenn. This this cast is absolutely insane. Yeah. I, you know you know what what seems sort of underwhelmed in, in this watch versus my memory of it? I had this memory of the sub launching out of the water and it being like in the shot with all the people watching it and it just being this like big moment and then them all reacting and me being caught up and being like, yeah, cheering. And I know, I know that it was like they thought that he scared him out of the water, but that wasn't what was actually going on. I did remember that, but like, in this watch, like, I don't know, it just, that scene didn't really, I don't know, I don't know why I remembered it so much. I mean, it is cool to see a submarine come out of the water like that, but I think the setup for it, it didn't really explain why it happened, I think is what I was missing. Mm. I was like, why did that just happen? Um, I guess it was just an evasive maneuver being pulled off by the Dallas, um, which seems yeah. to stretch credibility, because I don't think you would do that. Um, whereas in the book, it makes a lot more sense. It's explained why it happens. 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, they probably read that scene and were like, this has to go in and couldn't really find out how to like perfectly. Exactly. Mesh so it I guess it felt like an odd fit. And I think that that's probably messing with me and my ability to enjoy it. It was like it felt shoehorned mm-hmm. in a little bit. So you asked about specific ships and some of this other stuff. People who like Tom Clancy might be interested in this. Um, Sean Connery spent time under underway aboard the USS Puffer preparing for his role. He was given commander status and allowed to give commands while while underway wow. with the cab- with the captain beside him. So the captain was actually like right there. Um, I also read that the fighter crash into the flight deck was stock footage of a of an F nine F Panther test flight in nineteen fifty one. This particular aircraft was piloted by by official test pilot George Chamberlain Duncan. Duncan survived the crash with minor burns, and after a few months, he was back flying. Wow, I was so... Okay, so I thought it was real, but I was like, did we just see someone die? Because that looked like whoever was in that died. I guess I should have known they probably would choose footage where the the person survived, but man, it looked bad. Yeah, I think they did that a bit too. They, there is like stock footage used for for a lot of for for not a lot, but there's definitely some shots that were used that were stock footage. What about that? Uh, what about the submarine coming out of the water? Because that was a really memorable right. moment. It looked pretty good. Was that like really done? Yeah, that was that was real. Like they actually, like I said, they actually worked with the Navy in some cases and like actually used their equipment in submarines for some of these shots. Like the one, I, I believe the shot where they're all standing on the deck of a submarine. Yeah. And they're like on top getting in the rafts and everything like that. I think that was actually on it on one as well. That makes sense. Um, but a funny one that I did read is that the scene where Jack Ryan is lowered onto the USS Dallas was actually filmed in the parking lot of the Mole Pier at Long Beach Naval Station on a beautiful sunny day. Wow. Editing made it look like it was the ocean. I remember thinking there was something kind of odd about the way the ocean looked, but I wouldn't have guessed that it was that they weren't in the ocean at all. I thought it was that mm-hmm. the weather was actually really nice and that it, it seemed like they were manipulating the weather. I didn't realize they right. put in the water. <laughs> that's That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it looked good for the time. Yeah. Like, I, I like genuinely, I was like, that was a tense scene. It worked out. And that's another thing is I think there's a lot of good that's done with cross cutting, with the editing to build tension with like the the scene where they're in the trench and like uh, he's trying to like get them to turn at the last second. That's got a lot of tension to it. And I think editing has a lot to do with that. And yeah, the scene where where Jack Ryan's trying to drop on drop onto the deck of the of the Dallas. Um, I was really impressed with with the editing because I, I felt like that was a standout as well. Yeah, and it seemed like a harrowing stunt. You know, it seemed like it was a guy really doing it. I assume not Alec Baldwin, but um, definitely that that, well, that seemed uh, seemed like quite a stunt. I watched a behind the scenes uh, documentary kind of thing about it, and uh, Alec Baldwin did actually, you know, this this shot that's coming out of the helicopter looking down. Oh yeah, yeah. And he actually did do that shot. Cool. They were like, and that was Alec Baldwin, like had the idea. He's like, wouldn't it be cool if like the camera was looking down at me as I like f- dropped down? And uh, McTiernan was like, yeah, that would be cool. Are you cool with doing that? Will you actually do it? And he's like, yeah. So wow. that one at least was Alec Baldwin. Yeah, props to him. I mean, he, he gave it his all. You know, it's not his fault that he, he uh, just doesn't isn't a great fit for this kind of performance. But um, he, he gave it his all and I thought he did a pretty good job. Yeah, agree. So we're talking about different scenes and how they look. The one for me that might look the worst. Can you t- can you predict what I'm going to say? No, I can't. Oh, not off the top of my head. The final, the final sequence oh, where yeah. Sean Connery screen. and Alec yeah. Baldwin are talking as it's like they're supposedly on a sub that's going into a river, but quite clearly on a set <laughs> with like a background, and they the lighting is all wrong. You have the way the background looks and, it, you know, but then the lighting is like static on them. 
and their right. hair is like barely moving yet they are supposedly going pretty quick from the way the background looks um mm-hmm. just completely broke for me it was like this is not i don't know it broke immersion pretty badly um so for for as much as i'm giving them props on some of the other shots that one i thought was pretty atrocious yeah there was uh the the last few things i think there was like something biblical that was brought up too right am i am i wrong and yeah i, I think being they, like, they might i know he quotes christopher columbus which was a oh that's what it was <laughs> that's what it was yeah that's what it was i was like i was like yeah. oh shit i was like of course they're yeah. trying to make it they're like isn't columbus like a, this great figure to look at and like yeah he you know he's welcome, welcome to the, to new, the world. new world and it's i was like, like oh god damn it <laughs> yeah yep, yep oh yep. man I do have one other thing that I wanted to read that was about the switch from Russian to English. When it does switch, uh, there's a quote from Robert Oppenheimer. The switch occurs on the word Armageddon, which is the same in both languages, but pronounced differently. Oh, that's a cool detail. Yeah, the little shift there. Not only is it it's a quote by Oppenheimer, who obviously, you know, helped create the atomic bomb or did create the atomic bomb, right? Uh, yeah. or at least ran the program I, <laughs> I believe yeah. yeah uh it'd be funny if i was like completely he's like there, the lead scientist on, on i think he's program, at least the leader of the program yeah, yeah, yeah. the manhattan project right yes. i hope i hope i'm right about that <laughs> i think you're right but uh yeah so the switch happens on armageddon although it's interesting because he's actually quoting someone else but i think sean connery does say that aramius does say that um the, the the quote i am become death destroy our worlds is not a oppenheimer quote it is oppenheimer quoting somebody else but he said oh, really? it when, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who and do you know who he's quoting? I, I can't remember. I, I had to look it up. So it appears it's it's from Hindu scripture. I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, I don't think he like invented this quote. He just used it famously here, and it's famously, been misattributed yeah. him a ton. And that he people think he is the one who came up with it. He wasn't, but still, it is. He he's the one who made it famous. I guess. Right. I don't know if that's even true. <laughs> it's probably famous in Hindu scripture before that, but it to, to us. To me and you, it's famous from him. <laughs> that's how we know it. Yeah, that's how we're familiar. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, the change with Jack Ryan. The changes with Jack Ryan. Um, you're also you're a little bit more familiar with the character than I am. You've been watching the TV show with John Krasinski, which we talked about in our last episode a little bit. Um, I haven't been um, here. I like I said, I felt like they made an effort to have him be more of a main character for this movie. Like that's who we're following. Um, we're, we're seeing his POV for a lot of stuff. I felt like we're really with him in that final shootout in the, uh, in the, I guess the missile silo is what that's supposed to be on the ship. Mm-hmm. And I liked the line about like, watch what you shoot in here. Things don't respond well to bullets, but then the other guy is just shooting everywhere. But again, you know, just kind of a, the quippy lines just didn't quite work for me as well as they would have coming out of another actor i think i could really see a harrison ford here actually that would make a lot of sense um yeah. but yeah what was what was your thought on this portrayal of jack ryan the character who i know you're a little more familiar with than i am you know i mean like i'm not like extremely versed in the character like i just remember some of the stuff from harrison ford and i've i knew i'd seen this and i've seen the first season of the show but like i don't think anybody would say that this is like the end-all be-all performance of jack ryan because i do think that it is like slightly miscast as you've been talking about I just think like he has a certain sarcasm or something that like is like built in. I, I don't know what it is about him that I, I find to be like it, it miscast. I don't I can't really yeah. put my finger on it. But the, the like scene one moment he, that stands out as being a little odd was like the you son of a bitch. And he's like pounding the right. table. I actually think that that's like that that sort of fits the kind of characters that he plays. You know what I mean? Right. It's not that he did it. It was the the. 
the way Alec he did Baldwin it. doing it. I don't know. It just right. didn't work as well as like another person might have done it. It's such a, right. it's such a like nuanced thing to talk about, and it's difficult to put my finger on. I I mean I, I just think like in terms of like what they gave the character to do, pretty pretty I would say like standard uh jack ryan fair like i would think that this would be i don't think anybody's offended (laughs) by it yeah but i don't think it's the best portrayal Uh, i did want to say what we were talking about that there's a shot that stands out in my mind where he you're talking about he's like i watch what i shoot or whatever that quippy dialogue back and forth and he comes around the corner and those there's those missile silos like you're talking about or like those orange those like red tanks that go up and it's like this Mm -hmm. low angle and he's like crouching around it that's that shot i was like oh man money that's a money shot right there that's so awesome um, and that one's really stuck in my mind as just like a moment because there's like the red lights going on. That's one of the too. one of the things I remembered about this movie was that shot. Um, yeah. There's a, there's a couple of those like and, and again it's kind of John McTiernan going like isn't this cool? Um, exactly. One of them was when uh, Jack Ryan first shows up at the like shipyard and you see the sub up up like and it's got like smoke uh, like uh, like mist all yeah. around it and stuff like I thought it just looked cool. Well, and the guys like they're they're like trying to work on it and stuff and so like sparks are falling constantly yeah. and I'm just like like uh, p- p- nobody has eyewear on they have the helmets but they don't have eyewear and I'm just like looking at Jack Ryan like looking up like two stories and then there's like sparks falling behind <laughs> yes. him and I'm like you're gonna Fucking burn your Ember eyes hits him right in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would uh, not have been good for old Jack Ryan. Um, yeah, lots of lots of cool sequences like that. And I think that actually, you know, that felt like something out of Die Hard, weirdly, even though it, was, it wasn't. Like, that was the mm-hmm. kind of thing where I think I was identifying, like, a, a signature kind of shot from John McTiernan, mm-hmm. and, and that, w- that was one of them. I, and like we've talked about it a little bit but the interiors of the of the subs uh, like there's like a nuance to it that like i was listening to the dp talk about in this documentary and he was talking about like they they went with a specific lighting signature for like a specific mm. lighting scheme yeah. for each ship so like, that makes sense because you could kind of know what si- ship you were on immediately right and there's like a color scheme it's not like overbearing like all the lights are on and mm-hmm. they're all this color but like there's like a lot of like the main primary colors that are in the background are like i believe on uh, it's funny because i think on the dallas they're mostly red and then on the another one they're yellow and then on another one they're another color i i could look into that but interesting um, i would have guessed blue for the dallas because i feel like i remember blue but maybe i'm wrong yeah. I, I do i think yellow was maybe the red october because I, I think there was a lot of yellow especially once the alarms were going off there was a lot of yeah. yellow i think there was a good bit of red too though yeah, that would make sense. the The red I was surprised specifically that the red October wasn't red. Like I was yeah, like, how, I think how, it, bro- how? it probably was yellow. Was probably the the main theme for them. Yellow and then like uh, something else too, probably. Yeah. The other thing is there's like a subtlety to the they wanted like the instrumentation, the instruments and everything in the ship to be the most advanced in the red October, obviously. Mm. Um, and so that you get like varying levels of like sophistication to and like a sleekness to like the the red yeah. october in comparison there was stuff. a sh- there was a real chromey shine on that uh yeah periscope he pulls down to look into those like, <laughs> yeah. that looks fancy <laughs> yeah definitely uh so yeah i i i think the set design for for the subs and everything was really really well executed and um just to talk again about like the tension that's created something else that we haven't even talked about yet the the way that they can they can Nick Tiernan and the crew and everybody was able to articulate like sonar and like you're looking at readouts and stuff and the audience kind of knows what's going on just from like context clues. I think that's tough to do sometimes. And I, I liked the idea because sonar was so important in this in the book. I was happy to see that it remained as important. And um, obviously, we I loved uh, Courtney B. Vance as uh, Jones. Like I just thought he was a, a standout character. Is that the I loved like, the conversation. 
yeah listener. radar tech yeah, yeah, yeah. the uh yeah the sonar guy he and the way that he was like there's like the green like new recruit that's in the cabin with him he's telling stories about that and then the other guy who keeps coming in to talk shit and but then ultimately like he's yeah. correct I that new recruit had, guy i wanted to be like show a little respect man he, yeah. was, he seemed a little bit like he was shitting on the, the guy who was trying to teach him the, the ways a right. little bit and he knew what know. he was talking about at the end of the day. It was cool. I like their exactly. whole little like three three their, their scenes together were were funny and yeah and pretty compelling, reminiscent of the book too. Um, so one change I, I, I've kind of touched on it with with uh, Jack Ryan in general, but uh, I noticed that people didn't believe him a lot more in the movie than they did in the book. It felt like in the book he would come up and he'd have like compelling evidence and he would lay it out and then he would convince people. And then they'd go, okay, we're on board with it. That's what we're going to go with. Whereas here it was like, I think this is happening because I met him once at a party and I just have this feeling. And they're like, yeah. well, that's you're not going to go off of that. And then they're like letting him kind of be a maverick. And it gives it a lot more chaotic of a feel. You know, him taking the 50-50 guess on like the way he would turn and is in that same vein. So Jack Ryan felt a lot less analytical and precise and a lot more kind of freewheeling maverick type character um, yeah. here than he did in the book. I mean, it was flim. I think it, it comes down to like making some of these situations flimsy uh, in terms of like the narrative, because it's like, I don't know if you're banking on the fact that somebody's going to turn like, you, you know, the I, the end game of this is like could be nuclear war. And yep. this guy's like dropping in from helicopters that might not have enough fuel. And then and then, you know, getting into the ship and the argument that he has with the captain, like over the charts and everything. He's like, um, you know, he's like, you have two minutes. And it's like you said, it's like it's, it's kind of tension building. But at the same time, it feels like it's all very convenient at some point. Yeah. Like uh, there's some odd moments where it felt like they were trying to almost artificially inject tension into scenes that weren't very tense um one example was um the 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 situation where they arrived on the hunt for red october and the scene dragged on for like a good 30 seconds to a minute longer than it needed to where they were sort of implying that like maybe Ramius won't surrender and like say that he's he's like uh you know changing sides but like mm -hmm. we as the audience knew that's what he was doing and, but they keep like showing the guy's gun and like showing how there's like all this tension between the two of them. Like who, what are they going to do? And I don't know. It just felt like it was, it was sort of um, just trying to drum up tension for tension's sake. Another, another example of that was the stuff with the, the Ramius having both um, keys for the missiles, right? Yeah. Like that's kind of highlighted early on as this big deal. But then like shortly after that, we learned that he is, he's coming over to the American side and he's not going to shoot the missiles. So what was the point of that? I, I don't know. It was like, yeah. it, they really wanted to play this, like, is he a madman angle? But then everything they showed us on screen showed us that he isn't. I don't know. Right. So it, it was kind of a weird, I don't know. It, it only half worked, I guess. Yeah. There's the, the scene you're talking about where they're all on the deck for the first time together. The Americans just got on the red October. Um, it does linger a bit. Like, you, yeah. you know, like the, there's like... It, I, obviously there would be it would be weird and then there was the moment of like i was like how the fuck are they going to figure out this russian english situation because now they can't do their trick anymore yeah where they're just playing it as english so and then basically like they just understand each other at some point i think they like, just at make first it's um, just, yeah they just make alec baldwin be able to speak russian but then also they make ramius be able to speak english it really right. felt like he just didn't want to deal 
with the fucking language problem. It's like, I just don't want to have to fucking deal with this. Let's yeah. all make them speak each other's languages. It's fine. Study the enemy, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, that's funny how that worked out. Yeah. You know, it, it's, that's not why John McTiernan was here, right? Like, he's <laughs> he's not making a movie about that. He's He wants characters to be able to talk to each other. Yeah. I, I read that the real-life USS Dallas completed her final deployment on November 22nd, 2016 and decommissioned a year later in in 2017. At the, at the time of her retirement, the USS Dallas was in service for 36 years. Wow. I also yeah. read that uh, the Cincinnati Reds sort of, they I think in the 1989-1990 season, they like took up this this like hunt for Red October as like a as like a catchphrase kind of thing because they're the Reds and then I think playoffs and everything happens in October so they're like oh, the hunt for Red October <laughs> okay um, during that season it kind of became like a rally thing for them and I think they went on to win um, wow so it worked out John McTiernan did it <laughs> that's fun <laughs> well I am I am basically out of things man I think this uh this was a pretty fun project we've 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 checked off the Tom Clancy box now um, fun to revisit John McTiernan um, interesting director. Um, even with his sort of sordid history and the bizarre situation with the wiretapping, look into that more if you're curious. It's, it's sort of a weird scenario um, right. that played out, and he ended up serving prison time for it. So um, pretty wild stuff. You don't right. hear about that. Oh, and declaring bankruptcy. So like, it's, as successful as this guy was, you know what I mean? Like he, you know, he fell. From, from I, like I said, I think he thought he was one of his characters some some of the time. Yeah. Um, you know, living flying by the seat of their pants. Um, Another thing is like to think about this film in context of like Tom Clancy's legacy because this is the first Tom Clancy adaptation I believe. Right. Um, yeah, I think so, so. It's kind of massive, you know. You know, it's funny to think like Alec Baldwin, uh, maybe not necessarily being the perfect Jack Ryan, but the the you know the legacy continues on whether that was Clancy. I'm yeah. sure it was boosted by this film and stuff, and people were more were interested in Jack Ryan. Yeah, the career was the career was being built, the the brand was being built, and this is a big piece of it for sure. All right, so only one last thing to do. Let's take a vote on which was better. Uh, let's start with you, James. What what was better, the book or the movie? I mean, I think if you listen to both episodes of our coverage, it's it's kind of clear for which one I was going to choose. Um, as much as I feel like Clancy did sort of make this political thriller sort of in the 80s popular, I still think that uh, I'm, t- I'm going to take the movie in this case for what I see is like a great cast, a fun action movie that is fairly well paced, especially in comparison to the novel, and then ultimately has some really memorable scenes. And and uh, I, I mean, I had fun with it. So I'm taking the movie in this case over the book. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a, this is an important book. It started off in a, a huge career. Um, it is, uh, you know, a lot of people love Tom Clancy for these kind of techno thrillers. He is a staple of the genre. And I, I enjoyed the technical details um, somewhat. Um, you know, other, other times it was kind of a mixed bag. It was too much. Um, so there were some things holding me back in the novel. I didn't think the characters were super engaging as much as they were decently well, you know, defined. So that makes me come around to the movie, which um, imperfect. Um, I have cri- criticisms about it uh, throughout, but um, like you said, great cast, um, some iconic moments that that have stuck with me over the years, 
And because of that, I am also going to give it to the movie. Um, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the book, even though I do understand how important it was. Um, so yeah. yeah, I'm gonna go movie as well. Sounds like we're in agreement. Like I, I do want to give the book props. Like I like I was saying, I agree with you. I, I did like the technical aspects, and and if this is like your your if this is the perfect thing for you with with the sort of detail oriented you know nature of the book, uh, then then you know power to you. But uh, for me in this case, just like the sort of condensing and and like simplifying of the plot and and everything in it, uh, really really worked in the movie for me. Yeah, a good adaptation. So I want to shout out a new patron we just got, Ray S. Uh, thank you for being a patron. Uh, we appreciate the support. Um, if you would like to support us, check out our patreon.com slash inktofilm, and you can see that we have a new uh, bonus episode up on there we just recorded where we are talking about The Thing from Another World, the 1951 original adaptation of Who Goes There, um, which then would later go on to become the uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. And I thought it was a really interesting sort of puzzle piece, uh, you know, missing link connection between the the novella and the film we later got for me that really shows me the whole picture of what Carpenter was working with. And uh, I enjoyed talking with you about it. Yeah. And also fun, fun, fun for me to, to talk about classic Hollywood film and, and sort of like you said, it's a puzzle piece to, to situate with someone like Howard Hawks. Um, it was it was a fun time. I enjoyed that one. You talked about patrons a second ago. Also, shout out to Stephen E for for commissioning this this project here. We Absolutely. wouldn't have been covering Hunt for Red October without him. Um, so shout out to him for that. Make sure to connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those at Ink to Film, and join the Council of Inklings. It's a place where we post polls, we post any sort of adaptation news we see, um, and kind of keep up with all this adaptation stuff and you you know if there's enough interest in there for a certain project that, that's coming up or it might influence us to cover it so it's a yeah. good place to be to stay informed as well on like we've definitely posted polls in there to, to determine future projects um also if you enjoyed this episode make sure to leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast app you use or if you're on youtube uh leave a like make sure to subscribe um that all of these things help us um, continue to sort of build momentum, get the word out, get more listeners, which is, you know, that's the goal. Thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right. And so right before we go, we're going to go ahead and announce our very next project. Um, we are going to be doing Interview with the Vampire by Anne Rice, uh, one of the most iconic and well-known vampire novels out there. As far as I know, you know, you got, you got Dracula, you got, you got a few others, which we'll probably touch on, but like interview with the vampire is, is up there as far as famous vampire novels go. And I've never read it before. I have seen the movie, but it's been a very long time. And you recently told me that you actually had not seen the movie. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. You're coming into this project completely fresh. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for that. Definitely. Yeah. I don't, I really don't think I've seen it. I think, you know, I'm familiar with it through cultural stuff here and there, but like sure. and I'm kind of vaguely familiar with what it's about, but it'll be fun to like really dig into the nuances of it. Absolutely. Uh, so make sure to join us next week when we get into that. And then we'll be coming up with some sort of Christmas project to end out the year. And oh my gosh, it's almost the end of the year. It's wild. fucking wild. We'll have last looks it. episode um, coming out towards, towards the very end of the month. And that'll be it for 2020. What a, what a year. It's been a year. What a fucking year. <laughs> it's been a year for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us uh, for it. And until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.